0: Thank you for listening to the Riverbend Church podcast. Riverbend Church exists to lead all people to know, love, and live new life in Jesus Christ. We hope that you enjoy this message. We're in the middle of a series, or actually towards the end of a series, called I Am. And if you've been with us, uh, if you call Riverbend home and you've been with us over the past five weeks, you know that this is a series to where we've been diving into the issue of identity. And this is what we've discovered together is the issues of identity all swirl and revolve around three primary questions, the questions of who am I, who am I supposed to be, and who who can I become? But one of the things that we've also discovered together is that to get further clarification, explanation, and definition of who we are or who we're supposed to be or who we can become, we need to go back. To who created us. Uh, one of the things that Jesus does, for example, is he actually answers our three most personal questions of identity by pointing us back to him. And think of it this way who better to give you an in-depth, in depth explanation on a piece of art than, than the artist that created it, that sculpted it, that formed it, that painted it? A- anybody in here, like really big, like uh art people, to where you just go in a museum and you just look at a painting and go, hmm. That really touches me. All right, me neither. Um, But that means that we're all in the same boat to where we need that artist coming up beside us and go, let me tell you about the brush strokes. Let me tell you about the texture. Let me tell you about the depth. Let me tell you about the mood and the setting. And I'm gonna nod my head like I know what they're talking about to where if you know me, I just simply wanna talk to the artist and go, okay, so what exactly was going through your mind when you decided to paint dogs playing poker? Um, To me, that guy is a genius. That guy is my Picasso. Um, But what about a story or what about a book? Who better to give a more in-depth explanation or definition of a story or a book than the author that created the story that wrote the book? In the same way, who better to give us clarity, explanation, and definition of who we are, of who we're supposed to be, and who we can become than the one that created us? And this is what we know. We know that every single one of us, Gainesville, Oakwood, online, every single one of us, we are fearfully and wonderfully made by the master artist, by God himself. So when we take our issues of identity, those three questions, who am I, who am I supposed to be, who can I become? And we take them to God. Basically, we're allowing God a chance to go, okay, let me tell you about how I created you. Let me tell you who I created you to be. Let me tell you who you can become, who I desire for you to become, because he is our creator. And the verbiage that we put around this that served as our big idea, if we understand that to understand more of who we are, we need to see who Jesus is, this is the big idea that we've been revolving around this entire series, because He is, I am. So if I want to know who I am at my core, if I want to know who I can be or who I'm supposed to be, then what I need to do is I need to look at my Creator, and our Creator actually gives us some insight into who He is, which then gives us further insight into who we can be. And we've been traveling down uh, in the book of John together over the last several weeks. And in the book of John, Jesus gives us seven statements that start with, I am. And that video that started off uh, the, the, the message this morning, you saw where Jesus says, I am the bread of life, or I am... Uh, Later on, I am the true vine, or I am the resurrection and the life. He he goes on to say, I am the light of the world, or uh, like this morning, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So what does that have to do with us? When Jesus says, I am these things, what does that have to do with us? Well, it actually has everything to do with us. So here's what I want to do. I want to encourage you, if you have a Bible with you, turn to, whether it's a hard copy or a digital copy, turn to the book of John chapter 14. The book of John chapter 14 is where we're going to be hanging out this morning. Now, while you're looking for John 14, give you a little bit of context of what's going on up until this point in time. Jesus has, has lived his earthly ministry. He's actually set up a room or he's asked his disciples to go ahead of him and set up a room to, uh, to partake of the Passover meal. Um, it, it, in, in Jewish traditional life, the Passover meal was like basically their Super Bowl, in a way, of the Jewish religion. So they're setting up the Passover meal. Jesus is eating this meal with his disciples. But in 2024, we look back and we see this is the last Passover meal that Jesus took with his disciples. So this Passover meal, we identified this as the Last Supper of Jesus. So Jesus has taught. He's performed miracles. He, he, he's, he's eating this, the, the, this Last Supper, with his disciples, but there's something distinctly different about this meal than the previous Passover meals with Jesus. The first difference is when they come into the room, he begins to wash their feet. Jesus kneels down with a basin of water and a towel, and he begins to wash their feet, which is the most humiliating act, most servant-like act that he could have done in that place with those men. But the second is he starts to talk about My time is coming to an end. He tells these disciples, his inner core, his his closest 12, I'm about to leave. Now, put yourself in the shoes of the disciples for a moment. You gave up literally everything to follow this man three, three and a half years before. And you have seen him do miracles. You've had a front row seat at the transformation, the teachings of Jesus. You had a behind-the-scenes pass. You had a backstage pass to all the inner workings. You know that Jesus is not just a man. He's the Son of God. And Jesus is about 33 years old at this point in time, which physically means he's coming into the prime of his life. Why in the world would he be leaving now? This would be the time to where he goes pedal to the metal and moves forward with the kingdom of God. But what they didn't realize is Jesus actually came, and in this meal, he is actually telling his disciples that I've come for a purpose, and that purpose is about to take place. I'm about to sacrifice my life on a cross for y'all. Now, the setting of this cannot be overstated because what we see in this is we see the scarcity of Jesus' time here. His time is running out with his disciples And what that means is the scarcity of Jesus' time with his disciples underscores the urgency and the priority of everything that Jesus is about to say. You see, Jesus never even wasted words at all, but especially in this time, in this moment, in this space of his ministry. So the scarcity of Jesus' time gave urgency and priority to to his disciples that night, but it also continues to resound with an urgency and a priority for us here in 2024. No matter if you're in Gainesville, Oakwood, no matter where you may be uh, joining us online, there's an urgency to Jesus's message, but also that context kind of gives us a little bit of insight into how John 14 starts. If you have a Bible with you, pick it up. John 14, we're going to start in verse 1. Jesus tells his disciples, don't let your hearts be troubled. Why? Because their hearts were troubled. Like you can just imagine that they were just heartbroken. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust God, trust in God, trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. He goes on to say, And you know the way where I am going. Verse 5, No, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus told him, Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. In this passage, in these six verses, Jesus lays out for us three truths that change absolutely everything about absolutely everything. If you're new to church, if you're new to Riverbend, if you're new to, to, to faith... You need to understand what we're about to go through in these three truths that change absolutely everything about absolutely everything. They are the very foundation. They are the very bedrock. They are the very why behind everything that we do and everything that we're about as a church. Everything that we are to do and everything that we are to be about as sons and daughters of God. If you're taking notes with us, I wanna show you three truths that change absolutely everything about everything. Number one, Jesus is coming back again. Jesus is coming back again. You see, Jesus isn't just some great teacher that we can actually better our lives from if we just listen and follow his instructions and teachings. Now, is it true that Jesus was a great teacher? Without a doubt. Is it true that if we apply Jesus' teachings to our lives, then we will better our lives? Without a doubt. But that doesn't mean that Jesus is reduced to to the role of just some great teacher. You see, Jesus was not just some great teacher. Jesus was God. And the first time that Jesus came, and we celebrate this during the Christmas season, the first time that Jesus came into this world, He came as a baby. He came as a baby. He grew up. He lived. He never sinned. He taught people about how to be in right relationship with God, the Father. He performed miracles that pointed people back to the Father. He sacrificed His life on a cross for our sins. He died was buried for three days, rose from the dead, physically rose from the dead and ascended back to heaven, to the right hand of the Father. With the promise, I will return again. Now, when Jesus comes again the second time, he will not come as a helpless baby. He will come as the conquering king of kings and Lord of lords. He will come for his church and what I mean by church is capital C Church. For, for all men, all women, all teenagers, all students, all kids that have surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ around the globe, He will come for His church. He's, he's coming for His church. At that point in time, the second coming of Jesus will usher in the final judgment of Jesus. So when Jesus returns, the buzzer goes off and it ushers in the final judgment of Jesus, which leads us to the second truth that changes literally everything about literally everything. Second truth this morning, heaven and hell are real. Heaven and hell are real. In most of of my conversations with people, I very, very rarely run into somebody that does not believe that there will be a heaven or there will be some type of like afterlife paradise or some type of better place. Very rarely. Although there are some, uh, German philosopher Nietzsche, if you're into German philosophy, the German philosopher Nietzsche uh, believed there was nothing after this life. And if you or you know somebody, is kind of like teetering in that Nietzsche zone to where you're wondering if there's nothing after this life. I want us to spend a little bit of time and conversation together this morning. Not from a place of judgment, but just from a place of logic. If there is no afterlife, then there is no consequence or repercussions of the way in which we chose to live and the way in which we chose to treat people here and now. So basically, why not be as bad as you want to be, get as much as you can, and just let the chips fall where they may because there's no eternal consequence if Nietzsche was right. And if there's no eternal consequence, if Nietzsche was right, then there's really no need for virtue or morality in this world. And that's not really a road that we want to go down, is it? Now, again, just as a thought exercise, if you don't believe or you're wondering if there is an afterlife... If there is no afterlife, and the Bible is wrong, yet we choose to devote ourselves to the teachings of Jesus and the pursuit of heaven, but it ends up being wrong, what have we lost? Nothing. But if the Bible is right, and someone like Nietzsche is wrong, what have you lost? And there is an afterlife. You've lost absolutely everything. You see... Most people, especially in the West, they do believe in a heaven. And by logic, we would think if there's a heaven, then there must be a hell because there needs to be a place for the historical Hitlers of history. There needs to be a place for the really, really bad people because certainly these people would not be rewarded for all the evil deeds and the genocides and the murders and the crimes and the heartbreak and the heartache. And the damage that they caused. And certainly, there would have to be a place to where they wouldn't just get away with it. They wouldn't just cease to exist. There has to be a place of punishment. And if we think that, if we think, well, there's certainly going to be a heaven. And if there's a heaven, then there's certainly got to be a hell because there's got to be a place for the historical Hitlers. Then we fall into this trap of thinking good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. And can I tell you this? The differentiator between heaven and hell, it has nothing to do with good or bad, has everything to do with if your sins have been forgiven or not. If your sins have been forgiven or not. You see, you and I need to understand that in heaven, we serve a holy God, a holy God that cannot be in the presence. Sin cannot be in his presence. And if you and I have sinned, even once, it doesn't even matter the severity Or the frequency. If you and I have sinned, and I think that across campuses, across online, we would all admit, yes, I have sinned at least once. And I think most of us would think, I have sinned more than once already this morning. Then we are guilty of sin. Can I tell you something about sin and and being guilty of sin? Is there is no amount of good works, good intentions, or charitable acts that can discount or eliminate your sin or my sin. It's not a matter of, I want to live a good life and hopefully at the end, God is going to look at my life and go, my good outweighed my bad, therefore you get into heaven. No, he looks at my life and he will look at your life and he will look at our lives and he is going to say, was your sin forgiven? Under what basis was your sin forgiven? You see, if you and I accept the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, then our sins are forgiven. Then his sacrifice, his sinless life paid the price and was this ultimate sacrifice to appease my payment, the payment, the debt of my sin and for your sin. If we accept that. to so where when God looks at Ben, he doesn't look at Ben the sinner. He looks at Ben covered by the blood of Jesus. When God looks at you, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus, when God looks at you, he does not look at you as a sinner. He looks at you as a son or a daughter whose sin has been covered by the blood of Jesus. That's one option. The other option is all sin has to be paid for and accounted for. God will allow you to pay the price for your own sin. And here's the thing if we surrender our lives to Jesus, if we surrender our lives to Jesus and we accept his atonement and his sacrifice and his payment for our sins, then he looks at us and says, you have been forgiven and we will spend eternity with him in a very real place called heaven. A place to where Jesus describes as being perfect, as being the home place of God. The place to where revelation describes as as being more indescribably beautiful than we could possibly fathom. The streets of gold, the throne of God himself. But if we choose to pay the price for our own sins, then that payment will be paid in a very real, very terrible place called hell. Hell was not created for you and I. Did you know that hell was actually created for Satan and his demons? You say, "Well, Ben, if if God is all loving and if there's a loving God, then I don't I don't believe that a loving God would ever send anybody to hell." And I somewhat agree with you, but I would say this: that a loving God will allow someone to choose, because here's what we know: you can't force love and you can't force relationship. You can only extend the invitation. So He allows us to choose. Make no mistake about it, hell is a very real, very horrible place that, that in the book of Matthew chapter 25, Jesus describes as an eternal fire. In the book of Luke, Jesus describes as a place of eternal torment. Listen, this is not an issue of heaven is for good people, hell is for bad people. This is an issue as of have your sins been forgiven, which then brings about the third important truth that changes everything. Not only are heaven and hell real, but eternity is forever. Eternity is forever. Forever is a hard concept to wrap our minds around, isn't it? You see, we can think in segments of time. We can think in uh, seconds, minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, years, decades, centuries. We can think in segments of time. We can even think of going through prolonged seasons of times of difficulty, can't we? So for example, if you're a student and you're taking a really, really hard class, which for me as a student, that started with anything having to do with science or math. I could fake my way through English, pretty good speaker of it. I could write my way until the professor just gave up because she got bored with all my rambling and I was pretty good at memorizing facts. So I was okay at history. But math and science, not so much. You may be a student and you may be going through a really hard class. Or you may be a parent and, and, and you're going through a hard season because you have what we call a two-year-old at home. Or you may be a, a, a man or a woman that you recently got a, a prognosis, a diagnosis that's really challenging and hard at, at, at your doctor, at the specialist's office. But here's what we know. We know if you're a student taking a really hard class, man that semester is going to end. You may have to repeat it, but at some point in time that semester is going to end. You know as a parent going through go, going through a challenging season with your kids, you know that that season will come to an end. And you know that if you have a challenging and a very difficult diagnosis and prognosis of health, you know that at one point in time At some point down the road, the the, the treatments and the therapy will come to an end. We can wrap our minds around segments of time and even wrap our minds around going through very difficult times for certain segments of time. Forever, however, is really hard, really difficult for us to wrap our minds around. Now, it's important for us to discuss Because you know how we just said heaven and hell are real? Well, heaven and hell aren't just real. Heaven and hell are forever. Let me get you to jot uh, a note down on your note sheet if you're uh, tracking with us. Hebrews 9.27. Hebrews 9.27. This is what the writer of Hebrews says. Each person is destined to die once and after that comes the judgment. You know what that means? That means that once you and I die or if Jesus comes back first... Our forever fate is sealed. We die once, and then the judgment. In other words, what we do with the time that we've been given here and now determines, determines our eternal destination. What we do with our time here and now, so in our time here and now, if we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior and accept his sacrifice for our sins on the cross, we can live with the assurance that of having eternal life with him when we die. Can I tell you this? The world has not seen the life of someone that lives with a comfort that somebody like Paul had in the New Testament to where he says, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. You want to let me keep on living and telling people about Jesus? Awesome. You want to kill me so I can go on to heaven and be with Jesus? Awesome. What in the world do you do with that guy? Did you know that you and I, we can have the same assurance? It also means that in that assurance, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross for my sins and your sins, it has no expiration date. It is good for all of eternity. However, if you refuse to surrender your life to Jesus and you choose to pay the price for your own sins, you need to understand how this works. Let's say, for example, you come up, Please don't do this. But you come up and you punch me in the face. Don't do it because I'll be embarrassed to cry in front of everybody. And I will cry like a baby girl. But you come up and you punch me in the face. Do you know how long the repercussions of that act will last? Well, let's stretch it out to like its most dramatic ending. To either myself or you die. The offense dies with me or the offense dies with you, the person that punched me in the face. But what if the offense is made against an eternal person? You see, sin is ultimately committed against God and God is eternal. Therefore, the consequences of sin are eternal or forever. There are no second chances. So let me, let me kind of boil it down a little bit m- tighter this morning. What you and I do with Jesus in the time that we've been given forever changes our eternal destination. So it is against the backdrop of these three truths that change absolutely everything about absolutely everything that Jesus makes this statement in John fourteen six. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. You know how we've been talking about because he is, I am. What does it mean for us that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? How does Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life actually bring definition, clarity, and explanation to my life, to my identity? Who am I at my core? Who can I be? Who am I supposed to be? Who can I become? How does this statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life, bring clarity and explanation and definition and answer to that? If you're taking notes with us, here's how it brings clarity. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, I am two things. Number one, I am invited to follow him and live eternally with him. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, I am invited to follow him. So at our core, remember how we've talked about a lot, uh, you know, who am I at my core, navigating that tension between the roles that I play and who I am at at my most inner part, at my soul. I can be a son of God, be a follower of Jesus. That is who I am at my core. Living with the assurance that my eternity, let come what may, worst case scenario is I die. And even in that worst-case scenario, you will know that I am in the presence of Jesus for all of eternity. That is the invitation. Let me kind of walk you through and break this down a little bit further. Because Jesus is the way, because Jesus is the way, he's the only pathway for me to be, be made right with God. If you have a Bible, let me get you to circle something. I want to get you to circle the word the I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's a big difference between the word the and a, isn't there? Jesus didn't even say, listen, I'm the best way, I'm the best truth, and I'm the best life. No, no, no. He certainly didn't say, I am a way, a truth, a life. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Do you see how exclusive Jesus was being here? But his exclusivity was made out of love and compassion because he wants you and I to know. Listen, the simplicity of Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life is there. It's simplistic, but in the simplicity, oftentimes it's offensive. But just because it's offensive doesn't mean that it's not clear. And just because it's clear doesn't mean that we have to necessarily like it or embrace it. That's a choice that he gives you. But Jesus is very clear, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. There are no other paths. This notion of of coexist, that's a a lie. There aren't different spokes to to the same God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Because Jesus is the way, he's the only pathway for us to be made right with God. Because Jesus is the truth. He's the only one that is trustworthy. Let me kind of get you to think on something. If I can trust Jesus with my soul, then I can certainly trust Jesus with my marriage and my kids and my family. If you can trust Jesus with your eternal destination, you can trust Jesus with your workplace, with your neighborhood, And with the decisions that are facing career moves and finances. If you can trust Jesus with the big things, you can trust Jesus with the small things. He is the truth. And when Jesus said, I am the life. He's also the only avenue for you and I to live with the assurance that let come what may, we will have eternal life in heaven with him. But also, this is also the only assurance that we have of living the life that he actually created us for. You and I do realize that the moment that we surrendered our lives to Jesus, the moment that the Holy Spirit came to indwell us, the moment that Jesus' sacrifice for our sins on the cross was applied to our sins, we still opened our eyes and we stood up and we're still here, right? Jesus didn't immediately take us home why? Why? Because he still has a mission for us. He still has a purpose for us. Through you and I, Gainesville, Oakwood, online, he wants our lives to demonstrate to the world around us that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through him. In just a moment, I'm going to walk us through some questions just for some reflection. I'm just going to kind of prime the pump and get you thinking about what God wants from you and what God wants for you this morning. But before I do that, I want to turn it over to Pastor Jim down in Oakwood. And down in Oakwood, he, he's going to walk y'all through these three questions. And our prayer continues to be for y'all that the Holy Spirit would move in freedom and power that every single person that stepped foot on the Oakwood campus this morning can leave the Oakwood campus with the assurance of knowing that they have eternal life in Jesus Christ. Now for us, Gainesville Online, I want to walk you through these three questions. Number one, most important question you could ever be asked, do I know that I have a relationship with Jesus? Do I know that I have a relationship with Jesus? Like, do you know that you know that you have a relationship with Jesus? Or do you find yourself this morning teetering back and forth? Am I, aren't I, am I, aren't I? Can I tell you this, listen, I've lived that life of wondering, am I, aren't I, am I, aren't I? It is a heavy, heavy burden that you were never meant to carry. It's not a maybe question, it's a yes, no answer. You can have that assurance this morning. I want to show you something. I love the writing of Paul in in the book of 2 Corinthians. He says, For God says at just the right time he heard you. On the day of salvation he helped you. If you can't answer this question with full-on affirmation and yes, guess what today can be for you? The day of salvation. To where you will forever look back at the end of February 2024, as the day that not only your life, but your eternal destination forever changed. You can have that assurance. You can have that freedom this morning. You can have that peace this morning. Second question is how does our discussion about the three truths that change everything bring about comfort in your life? How does it bring about fear in your life? You see, there there are a ton of subcategories that we have with us this morning. Like we can so subdivide ourselves but I think there's two broad categories. One category, one group of us, when we're reading about these three truths that change everything, it actually brings about a comfort to where when we're talking about Jesus is coming back again, we're like, yes, please, Jesus, come back now. Like I'm so sick and tired of all the garbage, of all the trash, of everything that's going on in my life. I'm so sick and tired of the heartache and the heartbreak and the stresses and the tension and the politics and the division and just the bickering. I'm just so sick and tired of it. I'm sick and tired of the diagnosis and the loss and the, and the death and the disease. Yes, Jesus, please come back now. And we are craving that with arms lifted high. It brings about hope. When we talk about heaven and hell is real, there's some of us that this morning we're like, yes, I crave heaven. I crave it every single day. That eternity is forever. Knowing that your eternal state is secure with God. You're like, yes, Lord Jesus. How do these three truths bring about comfort in your life? But to another group of us, how do these three truths bring about fear? So when we mention Jesus will come back again and usher in the final judgment, does that bring comfort or does that bring fear? We say heaven and hell are real. Does that bring comfort or does that bring fear? We say eternity is forever. Does that bring comfort or does that bring fear? If you're in the fear category, I think this fear can also be divided into two groups. Some of us, it may bring fear because we don't have the assurance of salvation. When we're thinking about heaven and hell, we think that heaven is for good people and hell is for bad people. We haven't really thought about it in terms that the differentiator is have our sins been forgiven. And we've just been trying to ride the fence on Jesus a little bit. And f- instead of surrendering our lives over to Jesus. And when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man comes to the Father except through me, you know in your heart of hearts, you know in the deepest parts of you, the most secret parts of you, you know that you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus. So everything that we just talked about strikes fear in your heart. Can I tell you this? God doesn't want you to live in fear. God wants you to live in hope. That's why he gave us this message. But there's another category that we know that we've surrendered our lives to Jesus. We know that our, our sins are paid for. But we got some family members and we've got some co-workers and we've got some friends and some neighbors. We're just not so sure about. And our heart breaks for them. Our heart breaks for them. So on behalf of them, we experience fear. But I think it's really important that we look at these three truths and and, and ask ourselves, how do I respond to these? But then that ushers in that third question, that final question. What specifically is my response to Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life this morning? In other words, Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Here's the question that you and I have to answer. Okay, so what? How does that change anything about today? How does that change anything about my Monday? How does that change anything about next week, next month, next year? How does that change anything about how I'm a husband, how I'm a father, how I'm an employee? How does it change? Like, what is that point of response that you know that God is stepping, is calling you to to take? It may be to have that conversation with that family member. It may be to... Clearly identify and honestly identify this relationship that I am in. This dating relationship is not bringing me closer to Jesus. It's pulling me further away from Jesus. And I know, I know that I should cut the ties on that relationship. But what specifically is your response to Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life? I don't have the answer to you, but I am confident that the Holy Spirit... We'll show you. So here's what I want to do. In just a few moments, we're going to pray. If you want to know that you have assurance that, that you have a relationship with Jesus, I'm going to be down over here, and I would love to talk with you. I would love to pray with you. I want nothing more for you than for you to leave this campus, knowing that your eternity is secure, and that you are now on the path to living the life that you were created to live by the one that created you. And can I tell you this, God loves you. God loves you so much that he's issuing this invitation to you. But here's what we know. You can't force love and you can't force relationship on anyone. You can be invited into it, but that invitation has to be accepted. So the ball's in your court. What about the question about comfort and fear? If there's someone that you are fearful on behalf of, I want to ask that you come down. I want, to, I want to ask that you pray for that person by name and pray that God would bring about an opportunity, open up an opportunity for you this week, maybe even today, maybe even this afternoon or to this evening, for you to have a conversation with who your heart is so burdened for. And then however the Holy Spirit is filling in the blanks for that last question for you, I just want to ask that you just break down the walls of any pride and that you just say yes to whatever God's calling you to do this morning. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for who you are. And God, we thank you for your presence with us. God, we thank you for your love over us. It is a love that invites, not a love that condemns. God, your word for us now, today being the day of salvation is about hope. What we do here and now determines our eternal destination. Jesus, we confess you to be the way, the truth, and the life. God, if some of us this morning need to surrender our lives to you and following you, God, I pray that you would grant them the boldness to make their way down front and to get that resolved. God, others of us, We have some family members, maybe a spouse, maybe a child, maybe a neighbor, maybe a coworker, maybe a friend, that we know that they've been fighting against you and our heart breaks for them. God, our best intentions can really mess things up, but your Holy Spirit can take a scalpel to someone's heart, to someone's life and bring healing. But God, we want to take this moment, we want to take this place God, just space up front to pray on behalf of the people that you've placed in our lives. And God, for anything and everything else that you are asking for our faithful obedience and our response of yes towards, because you are the way, because you are the truth, because you are the life. God, I pray that we would be obedient to that. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Riverbend Church Podcast. To learn more about who we are as a church and how to connect, you can head over to our website, riverbendchurch.life.